eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Welcome in to Take Command. I am Craig Hoffman. Covered the Washington Commanders from 2015 to 2020 on the beat. And the head coach during that time, a guy by the name of Jay Gruden, who's with us today here on the pod. Of course, Logan played 10 years in the NFL at tight end. While some people might expect us to rehash a bunch of that timeline, that's actually not what we want to do here, Logan, today. I want to use Jay's incredible football mind because my favorite part of that of my job during that time was was just learning the game. And, you know, whether it was in press conferences or just side conversations, Jay's a guy that actually, I don't know if he knows this, taught me a lot of football, uh, the X's and O's and the ins and outs and some of the details and, and that, that intricate uh, nature of the NFL. And so to be able to have Jay... You on the podcast and, and talking about it. Uh, really appreciate the time today. Hey, no problem. Enjoy being here. It's good to see Logan again. He's one of my favorite all-time players to coach. Toughest guy around, and I hated when we lost him. I was going to say, what was the, what? Because the timeline matches up, though. That like the end of your Washington career, Jay. You were the coach. What, what's the, what was the end of Logan's time <laughs> in Washington? That's the one thing we'll rehash. We'll just go straight to the point. Well, I think he uh, was a free agent, and uh, we didn't re-sign him. I, I think there were some people in the organization didn't appreciate Logan and what he could do for our team like I did and unfortunately I didn't have final say I lost a lot of players I wanted and I didn't get a lot of players that I wanted so to speak but uh you know people don't understand how hard it is to find a good fundamentally blocking tight end in the NFL nowadays it's uh it's a dying breed a dying position it's a tough position to find you got to be smart you got to be tough you got to be able to handle different kind of blocking schemes on the run uh movement and uh, Logan was as good as anybody at it. And that uh, hurt our running game drastically. We yeah, lost I mean, it. Jay doesn't remember this probably, but a guy by the name of Vernon Davis also signed here. And that was a big <laughs> a big factor in me not being around too. But I appreciate you saying that, Jay. Um, one of the things I vividly remember is like that was kind of Sean's first foyer into calling offensive plays and developing game plans. How was it mentoring him? I know you guys knew each other from the past. And uh, how are your styles different in terms of developing game plans and coaching philosophy? Well, we came up together. You know, he worked with my brother, uh, and then I also hired him in the UFL, and I tried to get him in Cincinnati. Sean and I go way back, uh, way, way back. So we have very similar ideas uh, growing up through the same tree. What I liked about Sean is he he was able to work with the Shanahans uh, for a couple years, which he was to learn some of their concepts, their running game concepts, which is good 
to carry over when I got the head job here. So it was a natural transition for me to keep Sean. Uh, we could carry the similar ideas. He learned some from uh, the Shanahan's we could implement with us and uh, some of the things I learned over the years at Cincinnati. Uh, it was a good mesh, a good combination. We both had major input in the game plan and worked very effortlessly together. Right. And like uh, another quick question. So like you mentioned, I think a lot of people don't understand this, but like what are some of the differences between like the Shanahan coaching tree and philosophy and what you do, which I don't even know how you would characterize your, your coaching tree. Like what, like what is it more like vertical passing attack? It's West coast principles, but like, can you talk about that comparison a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's West coast principles, uh, obviously multiple formations and, and try to get in multiple sets and do different things. Obviously plays that look the same that are different, uh, plays that look different that are the same, various things, things like that. Get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. Be very quarterback friendly is what we try to do. Uh, protect our quarterback at all costs, whether it's a quick game, the drop, the quick drop back game, uh, the naked bootleg game, the play pass, uh, maximum protection, whatever it might be to make sure we make him as comfortable as possible. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's all about the quarterback. And if you don't make him comfortable, you have no chance, uh, like a lot of these teams that don't have a quarterback. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of what we try to do. And then obviously you got to, you got to adjust to your players that you have, you know, um, and that's the biggest issue that, uh, you know, you try to you, you try to bring players in to fit what you do. But if they're, they're not here, you better fit what your players do or nothing's going to work. Yeah, that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you about is, is we look at trying to evaluate what happened in Washington last year with Scott Turner. And, you know, Scott had a really tough job. He had players in and out of the lineup. They spend the entire offseason preparing for Ryan Fitzpatrick to be their starter. All of a sudden, it's Taylor Heineke. And I, I that's kind of the premise of the question is, like, how much of it is – a game plan that's tailored to the quarterback. How much of it is tailored to the skill position guys? Obviously, I mean, we can, when you were here, there was all kinds of offensive line uh, issues that occasionally you guys would have to completely change a game plan because you didn't think you could protect certain plays. And yet, always sometime during the game, there's going to be someone wide open on a high cross for 30 yards over the middle. That was a play that no matter who was there, you and or Sean could always get that one. I don't, I don't quite understand that, but you always got it. So how, how do you adapt a game plan throughout the year to both stick to your principles and adapt to your personnel? Well, you have to not only stick to your principles a little bit, but you, you, you also have to adapt to who you're playing against. You know, some defenses mm. are a lot more difficult to attack than other defenses, uh, whether it be a great pass rush, great coverage group, uh, great team against stopping the run, whatever it might be. I think each week you have to understand it's a different way to attack. Uh, hopefully the core principles that you have that you worked on through OTAs and training camp, there's enough in there where you can pull uh, we're going to have a whole new game plan for each individual opponent, whether it's a 3 4 team, 4 3 team, cover 2 scheme, man to man scheme, whatever it might be. Uh, you have some core concepts that you can bring, bring uh, uh, over, and the guys already know, but you always have to adapt to the players that you have, uh, the players you're going against, and obviously uh, make the quarterback as comfortable as possible. So I don't know if I answered your question. There's a lot to it. It's not as easy as saying, let's throw a high cross <laughs> over the middle. Uh, if, if Vernon Davis is running it, maybe. If Jeremy right. Finkel's running it, I don't know if that's going to work as well. You know what I'm saying? So I, let's, let's, let's dive in a little bit. Like, this is a podcast, which is the beauty of this is we can get a lot deeper than we can on the radio. And, and so, like, when you think about the, the first thing, let's say you're going in week like you're, you're week one against Jacksonville if you're Scott Turner in Washington this year or whatever it is, whatever week you look at an opponent, are you looking at your personnel? Are you looking at, at their personnel? Are you looking at like, and, and when you start to look at their scheme and all that kind of stuff, what are some of the first things? Are you looking, are they more of a man zone team? Are you looking at the front they play? Like what are the, what are the kind of the, the checklist that you're going down as you try to eventually dive into your playbook and pick out the things you're going to work on that particular week? Well, you look at their coordinator first, it starts there and see what kind of coaches they added. 
uh, what kind of players they added in the offseason, uh, who their stars are, who their best players are. Then you go into scheme, front coverage, what's their foundation, what's their front uh, cover, what's their base front, what's their nickel sub front. Uh, then obviously you got to check out the blitzes and uh, the third downs and all the situational type things you got to look at. And then how you figure, you got to envision how your players will fit, fit attacking that uh, defense. Um, you know, if they're great against the run, you look at their stats, they gave up 2.8 yards on first down. And uh, how are we going to run the ball? Are we going to spread them out and run the ball? Are we going to try to pack them in and run the ball? Are they soft on the edges? Are they soft in the middle? Uh, so you got to just figure out where the best areas to attack in the running game are, uh, what play action passes fit the coverage schemes that they have, and what you guys like, and try to get your best players on their worst players or attack their coverages with your best coverage beaters. Um, maybe find a way to get two plays called into one. So if they're a zone man team, if you have man, man play, can it with a zone play or vice versa to try to create the matchups that you want. Uh, try to get the best play possible for your quarterback with, without making it too difficult. Uh, but you always got to understand there's a lot of different ways to attack a defense. I uh, just got to figure out the best ways to fit your offense and um, the personnel that you have. I mean, that was such a phenomenal answer. Like, is there a part of that, Coach, that you find to be the most difficult or a part that you find to be the most enjoyable in that? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, the most difficult sometimes is, Logan, is we, we get too many plays and too many mm -hmm. ideas. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and But you're in a Wednesday meeting, you're in, in, installing your game plan, and you got all these ideas down. It takes, you know, two hours to install all these. But there's no way you're going to call them all, and you can't practice them all. So you got to be able to uh, be creative, be simple, be able to attack, but also be fundamentally sound. You know what I mean? That's the hardest, you know, Sean McVay coming with these ideas. I'd have these ideas. <laughs> Wes Phillips would have these ideas. We'd have ideas coming out of our kazoo, but yeah. we have to limit them uh, to make sure we can put together a formulated game plan that not only we know, but the players know and they're comfortable with. I, I think also, too, there's the element of having to teach the players, right? Because it's one thing to have a scheme yeah. that's perfect on paper, but if you can't get it through to the players for whatever reason, you got guys that you signed off the street or, you know, guys are, you know, it's just it's different than what they ran in college and they're having trouble with that. Whatever the reason is, being able to actually get it through to the players sometimes I felt like. It was one of the most frustrating things for you, especially because for you, like this stuff comes so easily. You are such a X's and O's kind of guy that that, that came so naturally to you when players wouldn't get it. You'd be like, if you just take three steps there instead of one, like you had a, you had a touchdown. Like, why can't, why can't you understand oh, that? If you can't, if you can't get it through the players as a bad player, you're a bad coach, one or the other. So uh, yeah. you got to make sure as a coach, if the players don't get it, then you can't call. Them. Right. So you got to make sure and, it's comfortable. But so in question for him, like how did, how did you go about deciding like when it's time to just cut bait on an idea, even if you thought it was a good idea because the players weren't getting it versus trying to break through in a different way. Like how did you manage that, that teaching side of it? Well, sometimes you had to cut bait on the player if they were too stupid to understand them <laughs> inside zone or what have you. <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't have that ability, but, you know, it, it works hand in hand, and uh, it, it's hard to say uh, in, in a short answer. There's so much that goes into a game plan, how to attack, uh, how to minimize your plays, how to try to expand your playbook to confuse the defense. You can't be simple and stupid in this league. Defenses will eat you up. You know, they, they, they have – film too so you got to be able to throw different sets at them and different protections and different route concepts formation uh, bunches and stacks and and motions and jet sweep motions uh that takes time uh that's why when you're going through the recruiting process and draft process the free agent process you want guys like logan who take this very seriously when they come in to learn in every single concept formation motion understanding the concepts of footwork the fundamentals but also the big picture why we're calling these plays we're not just calling these plays because we want to look cool and uh, outsmart everybody. We're calling them because we think it's the best way to attack a defense. So 
hopefully the players buy into that, that they're you're trying to do good by them, putting them in the best situation, and it's their responsibility, responsibility to learn it. So, Coach, that's something like, you know, I help out at Independence, and where I'm always, and even when I was playing with Kyle and, you know, everywhere with you, like discerning how big or how small the game plan should be. Like, how do you know you have enough? And, like, like how do you walk that line? Because I remember with Kyle, you know, he's got all these really intricate, you know, Oscar, check with me, can do a play pass. And, you know, I felt like at times that caused guys to play slow because they just couldn't hold all that information in their head. And then he'd bring it way back, and then we didn't have enough to kind of to fight what the defense was presenting. Like, how do you – is that just all player dependent, or is that – like, what's your process? Yeah, that? that's a great question, and that's something I had, didn't figure out good enough. That's why I'm sitting here on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, there's there's a lot of different ways to attack a defense that you can really have a big advantage, but it takes time. It takes a lot of verbiage. Uh, I think that's what Kyle does. I know that's what Sean does. They have a lot of pre-snap keys, and if they get a zone look or a man look or over front or an under front, then they want to can it to another play or or kill it to a different concept altogether. That takes time in the huddle. Uh, It slows the game down a little bit, but it does benefit you as an offense because you're not calling a – a running play into a loaded front or a strong safety blitz is going to, you know, knock your head off. You have to have some element yeah. of the ability to change plays at the line of scrimmage. But uh, like I said, I always want to try to come up with as many plays as I call could that you could call it and run it no matter what. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, those are important yeah. where you can speed it up and then also be able to jump into a no huddle at times, have some one word plays that you can get to as fast as you can. If you felt like the game was just stagnant and, God, we got to get something going, you know, jump in a two-minute or yeah. jump into our no huddle. So it's just a way to change up, you know, the speed of the game, the tempo of the game. But I think if you think you're going to go into a game and huddle up and call three plays at once on every play, you're 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 doomed. You know, yeah. it's too much and it takes the game, uh, takes the pace away from the game and um, puts you at a disadvantage more than an advantage. I mean, and that I think that like that three-play system and all that, you know, and you know, in addition to all that stuff, they have the hurry up, they have the all that kind of stuff, which does present a simplified response from the defense, as you know. But how how important is it to have a quarterback that can get you into that stuff? You know, everyone talks about the quarterback's physical tools. There's also a mental element to the game that's so important that you know, like I hope I, that Carson Wentz has here because it allows you to do some more challenging things offensively. He has to do it. That's just the way it is. Yeah. If he can't do it, he can't play. And that's, that's right. you know, uh, you can only be so simple at the quarterback position. You know what I mean? What, what do you, you know, what, you got to be able to change the play at the line of scrimmage and you yeah. got to help me out. I don't know when they're going to bring the strong safety blitz. I don't know. We're going to bring the bonsai blitz. You know, I have a pretty good idea. You know, if we cross the 50 yard line crunch time, we're expecting cover zero or in the red zone on third down and five, we might expect cover zero, but they could throw it in there at any time. Uh, or any yeah. other kind of blitz or any kind of double A package. You got to be able to adjust your protections. You got to be able to adjust the running game, uh, flip the run, can it to a pass, what have you. Because it's very hard to be successful on offense if you're wasting plays. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you just yeah. try to preach the fact we can't waste plays. We can't run an outside zone, weak outside zone into a free safety blitz. I mean, we can try to yeah. push it if we want to, and, and that's great. And sometimes you might have that ability to do that, but uh, you know, you just don't want to run it into a slaughter. Yeah. yeah, when you talk about the intellect of quarterback too, how important is it to kind of put a high floor on your mistakes? Like to me, that was the the magic of why why Alex Smith won so many games. Like even when he had to waste a play, like it was no gain. You survive. You go to the next down. It wasn't a sack. It wasn't a turnover. It wasn't an interception. So how do you how do you coach players and especially coach quarterbacks to make sure that when you do wind up in a bad situation, that you don't make a bad situation worse? 
That's exactly mm-hmm. right because you know you can't be right. Sometimes the right guard will get beat. Sometimes the center will get beat or the left tackle or the tight end will hold or whatever, and you'll lose a yard. You'll drop a pass. You'll have second and long. Uh, we try to do a good job with our get back on track package, second and 10, second and 11, second and nine, try to get half of it back because we felt like our third down of three to four offense when we had Jordan Reed, Jameson Crowder, Pierre, those guys was pretty yeah. dang good. You know, we could run the choice routes, the option routes. We get the ball out of our hands. We we're pretty efficient in that. We could not overcome a lot of third down and nine, 10, and 11 pluses. So uh, that's a lot of punts. That's a lot of bad football. Uh, third and 10 uh, uh, rate to converting is very, very low. It's always been very low. So you got to try to stay out of those. Uh, but you're right. Um, some players would just grind and try to make a first and 10 play great, mm. take a 12-yard sack. If the screen's not there, they'll hold it, try to scramble and get a 12-yard sack. You can't overcome yeah. that. So uh, I used to say that a lot. And my brother used to say that a lot. We said, never make a bad play yeah. worse, you know. Or what's, why was that a great play uh, when you threw it away? Because that was the only play. And that's important mentality to have. You know, you mentioned something about third down there and, like, Jordan Reed, Crowder, and, like, what those 